mighty prophet man, as your God lives, I say your God because this certainly is not my God. As your God lives, I am just now scrounging up a few sticks to make a pathetic little fire so that I can bake this little bit of food that I have left for a final meal with my own son because of this terrible drought. Now, what was it you wanted from me again? me a little while to kind of wrestle this message to the ground uh, this week, and by the time I did, I felt like, boy, I'm asking a lot of questions uh, in this sermon, and so I actually scanned back through and counted, and it's, it's about 20 questions, and I looked after each question and came to the realization that I answer none of them. So, <laughs> so... These questions are going to be asked in the context of this day, of of where we are personally, of where uh, the world is, where the country is, of of the scripture readings that uh, we gather around this morning. So we're going to have to listen carefully and hold these questions in these contexts together. Is it possible to attend worship every week? To faithfully give your offerings, maybe even to serve on a, a team or a, or a committee or a work group or a mission trip? Is it possible to do all of that and still kind of miss the essential point of being part of a faith community in Christ? Is it possible to spend years studying Scripture and church history, and God's law, and to have the status of a religious expert, and to dress accordingly, and still miss the point? Is it possible to hit bottom, to give up all hope for a better future, to see absolutely no way out of the darkness, only to find out that God is right there with you after all? If we're honest, many of us feel a bit lost in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. But today, uh, the story that Grace read for us that is at least familiar to most of us, the story about a jar of oil and some flour, some meal that never runs out. In the beginning of this 17th chapter, 1 Kings the prophet Elijah is given some, you know, heavy lifting to do as a prophet. He's sent to ruthless King Ahab with some bad news, which is never a safe assignment. There's going to be a drought around here, Elijah says. In fact, Elijah says to the king, it's not going to rain until I say so. Fortunately, God told Elijah it would be all right to run and hide after delivering this message if uh, he felt like it. There's a ravine in Kareth, God said. I'd hide there if I were you, Elijah. You can drink from the brook. And uh, let's see. Oh, I'll send birds to bring you something to eat. Now, believe it or not, this arrangement worked pretty well for a while until that 
brook dried up, you know, because of the drought in the land. Talk about a self-defeating prophecy. So I wonder if God ever calls us to do something or deliver a message that is not necessarily in our own best interest. Well, this catches us up a little bit and brings us to the second half of this chapter, our reading for today from 1 Kings. God doesn't leave Elijah much time to sit around worrying about what he seems to have done to himself with this prophecy of drought. I've got another mission for you, Elijah. Don't worry, you won't be bringing bad news to a nasty king this time or looking for the birds to feed you. I want you to go to Zarephath and live in that foreign land for a while. I know you don't have any money. I know you don't have any supplies. And when you get there, I want you to look for a poor widow. She's going to help you out. So Elijah had to be thinking, I'd rather go back and yell at the king than impose on some impoverished foreigner. How should we look at people who appear to be desperate or poor or beaten down somehow? How should I understand their place in the world relative to my own? What if they come from a place that I've learned to be suspicious of for some reason? If, if I cross into their territory, am I there to save them somehow? Is that my only reason for going? Or is it possible that God at times brings us together for a deeper reason? Is it possible to experience the presence of God in the stranger? You don't have to hear the answer to these questions from me. You can talk to any single person, any single person who has been on one of our many, many uh, hearts and hands for Jamaica service trips, for instance. Or speak with any of our youth who have been on one of our mission trips to inner city Chicago or reservation in the Dakotas. Or have a conversation with any youth or adult who's participated in one of our vision trips to Tanzania. Is it possible to experience the presence of God in the stranger? When we left Elijah, he was on his way to beg for food from a poor widow in a foreign land, which all sounds bad enough. It turns out to be worse than it sounds. Great, it's come to this. Me, Elijah, great prophet of God. First, the birds that are supposed to keep me alive. And now I'm supposed to beg from a widow. So he set out, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. Elijah called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked 
Only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. You know, she had once been a young wife, a husband, and dreams about the future, and dreams for her family. But that was gone now. By the time we get to her story, she's a widow without any money or family to help her. All she had was this young son who depended on her for his survival. And on this particular day, she only has enough flour and a bit of oil to make one final meal for herself and for her son. And after that, they're going to starve to death. Why? Because there is a drought in the land declared and proclaimed by the very prophet who now approaches. So along comes Elijah. Excuse me, ma'am, can I trouble you for a drink of cool water? And as she starts to bring it on, if you wouldn't mind, just a small morsel of bread. Look, mighty prophet man, as your God lives... I say your God because this certainly is not my God. As your God lives, I am just now scrounging up a few sticks to make a pathetic little fire so that I can bake this little bit of food that I have left for a final meal with my own son because of this terrible drought. Now, what was it you wanted from me again? I don't know if you've ever felt like you've reached the end of your rope. Ever given up all hope for a better future? Ever felt like there was no way out of the darkness? There's got to be so many people feeling like this right now in Pittsburgh. In Thousand Oaks. Ever felt like if there is a God, she sure isn't your God? Ever felt like you personally have nothing left to give? Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son, for thus says The Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rains on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. It turns out that there was hope for this woman and her son. It turns out that Elijah did need help from this poor widow from a foreign land, help seeing that God does provide, that God is in fact present in the stranger. It turns out, and this is the big one, 
that this woman and her son did have a God. Elijah's God was her God. And generations and generations later, Jesus had his wide-eyed country boy disciples up to the big city, the holy city of Jerusalem. They were wandering around. They were in awe of the architecture. Look at the massive stones this temple is built with Jesus. They were marveling at the religious leaders strolling about in their flowing robes. And the large sums of money being dropped into the temple treasury. They were taken by all of it. Beware of the scribes, Jesus said. We like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And just then, along comes, yep, You guessed it, a poor widow. She's got about a penny in her hand, and she's walking up toward where the offerings are dropped in. And Jesus says, hey, you guys, come here. Look over there. This is what I want you to notice. This is what I want you to see. I want you to see her. So the disciples rush over in time to see this woman drop in two little worthless coins and to hear their pathetic little rattle in the receptacle. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which are worth a penny. Then Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I continue to believe that Jesus was pointing out the corruption of the entire system more than pointing out an example of faithful stewardship. I wonder if the disciples remembered this day and what they saw. When just a short time later, Jesus would give all that he had on their behalf. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Enough for today, Lord. Enough. The woman in Zarephath responded with the hospitality and generosity that had almost certainly marked her entire life. And God will never allow that well to run dry. We don't know how this poor widow's life went after this encounter with Elijah. We're told later that she lived in a house with an upper room. So hopefully she and her son knew years of shelter and safety and community. As our country grieves... Our own community of faith here, Prince of Peace, has suffered profound loss in just the last two weeks with the deaths of Molly Christensen and Sue Fodstad. We have 
gathered around these families with compassion and love. We've held tightly to the promises of God and the hope of resurrection, even in the midst of our sadness. And after each of these services, as our faithful volunteers set out ham and turkey sandwiches, it can all appear so outmatched by the reality of loss and sadness. But as Pastor Natalia shared during Sue's memorial service on Wednesday, we are a community called to hold these things together at the same time. Our grief and our hope are bound up in the heart of the one who cries with us. The one who dies with us. In order to say one more thing. Because death does not have the last word. For if we have been united with him in our baptism in a death like his, and we have, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We do hope in that promise. Our hope is in the work of the Lord and not our own. And that will always be enough. Always enough.